Good morning. Welcome back to Driving Theology. It is a rainy Wednesday morning here in Ibaraki Prefecture, Japan. And as usual, I am on my way to work. I'm going to be talking with you fine folks. Um, there's definitely going to be some noise in my backseat today, and you may catch the rain noise as well as the wipers. It's coming down pretty hard right now. I know I'm going to have a guitar that takes off at some point and tumbles. Let's see if I can maybe take care of that now. Yeah, this should be better. Alright, so, uh, yeah. This is, oh boy, um, July 20-something. I'm not even sure what the date is today. Uh, I do know that there's one more week next week, so it's got to be 22nd. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, it's July 22nd, and... Uh, we, like the rest of the world, are still in the middle of the uh, COVID-19 uh, situation. Uh, Japan was able to flatten the curve earlier than some other countries, uh, but there are still pockets of flare-ups um, that are happening now uh, that we are concerned about, especially in the higher population areas like Tokyo, Osaka. Um, our, our town seems to be doing better, but there are some rumors that there are a few here and there who have contracted the disease uh, from possibly uh, family members returning from Tokyo or Osaka or someplace like that uh, who have brought the disease here. Um, but it still seems to be fairly isolated and we haven't heard of any widespread widespread outbreaks or anything like that which we are thankful for um, <clears throat> but because the the danger is still very high in in Tokyo where my daughter goes to school uh, we're considering online options for her for the fall semester as well um, just because you know getting in and out of Tokyo could become very difficult uh, number one for everybody if they start restricting uh, border access uh, and uh, public transportation as well if things get worse and especially if somebody gets sick it might be hard for us to take care of our daughter um, would be in Tokyo for example um, for us to get to her to help her uh, because my daughters usually stay with another family in the Tokyo area and that would be unfortunate for that family if my daughter were the one to bring it into their house. And then, you know, how would we be able to get in there and, and help out? It could become difficult. And so we may just preemptively uh, go ahead and decide to, to put her in online school uh, for the semester and see how things go. Um, yeah, that, that just may be our only option. Uh, you know, all things considered. 
so that you know that's something we're dealing with right now uh, <clears throat> also obviously the internet has blown up over black lives matter uh, and and related racial topics and tensions and politics uh, and this continues to be a uh, a problem I think everybody is somewhat guilty of what I'm about to say, so I want to be careful the way I say it, uh, and I would include myself in there, although I think there were times when I was more guilty of it than I am now. Um, we tend to view history, the, the direction that we wished it was written. That didn't make any sense. Um, we, we tend to revise history to make ourselves look better than history possibly actually does. Of course, history is written by people and therefore uh, history itself is always going to have some kind of a bias, right? Now, the, the, the lower the bias uh, or the, the less... Uh, the bias, the, the more the more history emerges. But I think it's impossible for us as humans who have lived um, from a life from a certain perspective, it's impossible for us to actually know the absolute truth about history. However, I think we can get close if we, we have a few tools in our toolbox, a few weapons in our arsenal, if you will. Um, and one would be humility, right? Humility, the, the realization that, that I am never going to find the absolute truth about anything. And therefore, uh, I should always be looking for uh, truth out there. Like it's possible that there's more truth out there that I have not come across. And that will always be the case. That's not something that just magically goes away. Uh, so I think if, if we are going to be uh, a historian, whether professional or amateur, uh, or armchair, uh, I think we all need to be armed with a little bit of humility. Uh, and I would say the second, the second thing is an open mind. Um, being able to set aside to the extent possible, our own biases as we as we look at data and statistics uh, and read accounts um, and you know whatever else we read to be able, to be able to have an open mind to where we don't have a a preconceived idea of the direction it's supposed to go, but we are allowing the data to dictate the direction right and so to do that we need to have a, a very open mind we need to come from a culture or be a part of a culture that is open to all kinds of possibilities um, all too often history has been written uh, by people who have an idea of, of what's already happened and then they 
uh, pick and choose the the data to support what they think is already the truth. And of course, this happens with um, the type of history where we say the victors write the history, right? Those who those who win the war write the history books. Uh, and so the the victors always come out looking looking better, right? Um, than the losers. In other words, the losers are branded the villains. Uh, the, the, the victors are branded the heroes. And that's just how history is written. Um, but we have to at some point, if we're going to solve anything with history, we have to at some point get down to what resources are the best resources? What are the best resources in history? Who can we trust to give us the best, the best, most factual version of history? Now this opens up a, a whole other can of worms in that right now, because of social media, uh, we, we have this um, arc in, in the human narrative where we are going away from experts on anything. Uh, we have so much information at our fingertips that now uh, everybody's their own physician, uh, everybody's their own carpenter, uh, everybody's their own what, what have you, right? Expert on whatever, engineer or, you know, we all know better than the experts. Um, because we, we've read Wikipedia, for example, or watched a YouTube video. Uh, but even behind all of that, right, if you happen to find anything that's true on YouTube, you wouldn't necessarily know it because there aren't any checks and balances in the system to assure that you get... Uh, authentic stuff that you get the genuine article and so and I've been guilty of this as well uh, YouTube and Wikipedia which are obviously the two things that I'm talking about are probably the two things that I use the most uh, those two things are dictating right now uh, knowledge right they're, they're dictating knowledge um, Now there is a very bright side to all this. There is a good part to this, that, that people are able to do uh, more and more things on their own. They're able to do things that they couldn't previously do. And, and that's not a bad thing. You know, I think that's a great thing. And, and a lot of things that we're able to do these days are things we've rediscovered that, you know, things that mankind used to do for themselves, but at some point went to uh, quote unquote experts. Um, so that you know, there, there isn't. It isn't all bad, right? It isn't all bad. But I would have to say, in the realm of history, it's not served us. It's not served us very well at all. Um, there's just too much revisionist history out there, uh, conspiracy theories, and, and, and the like. And we 
now, I, I doubt that anybody, I mean, I don't know, I'd say maybe one in a hundred could give me a name of a professional historian. Does anybody know the name of a professional historian? Somebody who does this and has done this for a living, who has who has gotten his or her degree uh, in, in history uh, and has worked in the field and is applauded by peers and has been peer-reviewed uh, and um, you know, how many historians are out there? How many do you know? Uh, now, I happen to read a, a few books, right, that I like. Um, McCullough is one. Uh, Man is another. These are people that I've read, uh, and I've read, I want to say, multiple books by each person, at, at least two books by each person. Um there have been a couple other uh, history books that I've read. Um, and I've read a lot of history in the area of uh, music, which is my, my area of study. Um, but still, I don't, I don't think people even know who the, who the professionals are. Do they know who the professionals are and do they have any criteria by which they judge professionals? Any, any criteria that has withstood the test of time. Um, so, yeah. Um, there's a lot of revisionist history out there. People who are looking at events uh, right now in American history dealing with especially slavery uh, and uh, the plight of the Native American. And there are a lot of people who are you know, in their mind, using logic, right? Using logic to to give their version of how they think history went. And they say, well, it's logical. It's only logical. Um, and a lot of Americans right now, uh, when, they, when they come to a certain wall where it's difficult to get around avoiding responsibility, or both the plight of the African American and the Native American, uh, they they come to this wall, and then they they've started pulling out this new card. Well, it's really the British that did all that, and once we took over the country, you know, it, it was still the British in us. We were British still in a way, and so really, it's the British who who killed most of the Indians and took their land. And it's the British who instituted slavery. And it's, you know, the British are at fault, right? <laughs> so so they, they've invented this new revisionist uh, historical position uh, where, where they have avoided responsibility in the past and thereby avoiding responsibility in the present. Uh, and this is just one example that happened to come across my feed today. And the feed was about um, African-American slave owners in the Deep South in the 1850s. Apparently, 
there were some African-American slave owners and they owned thousands of slaves between them. They were freed African descent who owned slaves okay, in the Deep South. So they were black slave owners. Uh, now, percentage-wise, uh, when considering all the slaves, it's a very small percentage. Uh, but of course, people have already decided that they are not responsible for the plight of, of the African-American in our world today and therefore they're going back in history and cherry-picking these events to support their position. Uh, and so they say, see, black people had slaves too, so everybody was doing it, so, you know, hey, let's just all get over it, let's move on. Let's just get over it, let's move on, nothing to see here. Everybody, Obviously everybody was doing it because, you know, a few black people were slave owners as well and so you know let's yeah nothing to see here so white slave owners are off the hook uh the white people who have benefited from the generational wealth uh um, accumulated by these white slave owners are off the hook because there are a few black people who had slaves too so let's go have coffee let's just get over it <laughs> <laughs> There's so many problems with this, right? Uh, and, and and there are some there are some cute little sayings that we have, uh, idioms uh, that kind of sum up this kind of position. And one of them is, uh, even a blind squirrel finds a nut now and again. And uh, once in a while, even a monkey will fall out of a tree, right? So the fact, the fact that there were a few black people who were brought up in the deep south, in the slave culture, that they were, had enough in them to somehow get out of slavery legally, which is amazing, and then to, and then to start a business on their own in the deep south where they were able to buy slaves themselves. Uh, you know, they, they were living in the culture that they knew. This is, this is where they were brought up. Uh, and they were taught through the Christianity of the time, lest we not forget, that slavery was the will of God for them. That God had decided uh, that they were... Uh, God had decided that they were to be slaves that this was God who had decided this for them. It was God's will that they were slaves in order to keep them happy and, and also fearful of God that if they were to try to escape from slavery, they were you know, disobeying God. Uh, and, and so there are all kinds of reasons why somebody might be brainwashed into the idea that slavery is just a fact of life and I'd rather be a master than a slave. So that's what I'm going to do. Uh hats off to the people that were able to do that I have a feeling having come from slavery themselves that they were they were much gentler masters I would hope that doesn't have to be the case I'm not sure um, but 
I would like to study about that. But that does not in any way uh, influence my, my belief that slavery was evil to the core uh, and that those who, who participated and perpetuated that institution uh, had a big problem with evil. And the systems that, that grew out of them, like Jim Crow uh, and mass incarceration, these systems that have, that have morphed from slavery into different kinds of slavery since, uh, there's still evil involved in that. And there are still people who need to be, need to be rescued and released. Um, and so people, people bring, you know, come in with what they call logic. Well, logically, this is what happened, right? I mean, two plus two is four and four plus four is eight. And therefore, uh, there were black slaves so that somehow, uh, black slaves, uh, added to the slavery problem, uh, cancel out the slavery problem that, that somehow, uh, that cancels out the entire institution of slavery. It's just ridiculous. And the thing is, people just have this this place where they believe they want to be and where everybody should be in, a, in as far as their thinking on current American politics and recent American history. Uh, they, they think this is what everybody should think about that. And therefore, they go and cherry pick these, these stupid articles uh, that bolster their own position. It's, it's the same, it's just black on black crime, uh, all over again, right? People saying, well, you know, white on black crime or blue on black crime, which means police, uh, brutality against black people, uh, is, is a thing, but black on black crime is worse. Therefore we're off the hook. So that, that cancels out the other, right? One cancels out the other. The problem is that, one problem, is that this is collective reasoning at its worst, right? What we're doing, was we're lumping all peoples of all races together, right? And making them one, right? Uh, there is the white race, there is the black race, and there are the police. And so what we've done is we've canceled out any individual decisions made in the process and we've made them a collective group. Now the funny thing is, this is coming from the right. This is coming from uh, conservatism. And conservatism, one of, the, one of the things that they hold up to be uh, one of their highest ideals is the ideas, ideals of the individual the rights of the individual, right? That, that we cannot be held responsible for what somebody of, you know, from my family or somebody uh, of my race or whatever, I must be judged on my own individual merits alone, right? This is conservatism. And yet these arguments, uh, 
are are the opposite of what they say because they accused anybody of any kind of collective thinking uh, as Marxists, right? Any any kind of collective guilt or collective responsibility. Uh, oh no, yeah, that's Marxism. That's communism. That's that's you know that's bad stuff. Uh, we got to stay away from collective thinking. So. You know, if, if we, I'm not sure I've made my point here. Uh, it's, it's making sense in my head, but it may not be coming out the lips quite right. When we use a small situation, an anomaly, let's just call it that. When we use an anomaly to to cancel out an entire body of work, <clears throat> right? It's sort of like saying, okay, well, we have a lot of water here, but this, you know, we, we have a whole ocean of clean water over here, but over here we have this cup of poison water. This water is poison. Therefore, all water must be poison. That water is poison. That water seems clean, but that water is poison, and they're both water. Therefore, all water must be poison. Well, no. You you, you take individual things on individual merits, and and there are individual stories <clears throat> to be told about why people do the things they do. However, however, there is another side of things, and what we what we're calling it right now is systemic racism, and this is a collective uh, consent uh, to unfair rules and practices perpetrated on a minority group of people. That's systemic racism, and for systemic racism, uh, which comes from collective condoning or consent of said principles uh, said laws and said practices then there must be collective guilt for that or there at least must be a collective solution right that is a a specifically collective problem a corporate problem uh, and so we're, we're really talking about apples and oranges um, which I'm not sure that's really that good of a saying. Apples and oranges are, are you know, comparable in a lot of ways. Um, you, you might want to say, you know, it's like uh, apples and peanuts. Maybe that's better. Those are pretty different. Uh, anyway, um, so nuance is needed, right? We, we, what we do is we tend to either throw out any kind of individuality because that suits our politics and therefore we throw out the baby with the bathwater over and over again uh, or we go the other direction and we do it all over again we throw out the baby with the bathwater we say anything collective uh, anything anything that that smells of of a group of people taking responsibility or or uh, responsibility uh, or guilt, right? 
uh, that has to be completely bad too. Well, no, there, there's nuance to life. Life is, is nothing if, if it isn't living through nuance after nuance. There are nuances to everything that gets you closer to the truth. You know, right now I happen to be driving. Uh, and, and let's say a car in front of me cuts me off. They come in. It's a little bit dangerous. We avoid, avoid the action. But, but no matter what you look at, no matter what you say, that what that car did uh, was wrong in the eyes of the law or in the eyes of, of you know, common decency or whatever. There are ways that we could say, well, what that person did was wrong. Okay, fair enough. Uh, it was wrong. However, looking into the why and what may have happened to cause that person to do that. You know, whether maybe there was a sudden health condition that happened where they had a stroke uh, and therefore they were not uh, in, in, in complete control of their body and, and they swerved and did something they shouldn't have done. Uh, or maybe they just got uh, news that a loved one uh, had gone to the hospital and was in serious condition. And so they were rushing to the hospital to find that out. Uh, or, or maybe, um, really, there are a thousand other things. Maybe, maybe it was brute anger. Maybe it was just trying to be a jerk uh, because they hate people. But, but what, what's the, what's the, you know, the, the course of life that they were on that that brought them to the point that they would be so hateful, right? What, what, what was done to them? Who abused them? Or or even if they weren't outright abused, who who uh, re- didn't love them, you know? Who who are the people that that did not show them the love that they needed at the right time of de- development, so that they would they would care for people, that they would they would be gentle to people and love people. Every person is is living in their own story. <laughs> And when we come across a person that we've never met, what we're doing is opening up that book in the middle and, and we start reading a, a, a word or a sentence, but we judge them as if we've read their whole book. We judge them as if we've read their entire book and we know exactly uh, what they're doing, right? Um, but, but this, what this is, again, is, is hermeneutic, hermeneutics, it's perspective, it's, it's, it's uh, lacking perspective and making up with that lack with uh, your own narrative put into place, right? You substitute your narrative and assume that everybody else has lived the same life that you've lived. Got an ambulance crossing here. We assume that everybody else has lived the same life that you've lived. And so when they make a decision that you would not have made, right, you judge them by your own life, not by their life, not by the life they've lived. And everybody's life is lived uh, not, not completely in their own control. They have been taught to believe things. They, they have been given a set of principles and values uh, and were not asked whether they agreed with them or not, but they were taught them nonetheless. Uh, 
and most of the teaching was was the best way by example that's if you want to teach something the best way to teach it is by living an example for people to follow um, and so man I don't know how I got off on that tangent I it's gonna be hard to get back to where I was in the little amount of time that I have um, nuance everybody's life is a jumble jumbled collection of nuance and and to know somebody is to get into the mess of their lives uh, and and listen and hear the nuance and absorb the nuance and it takes time and it takes patience and it takes humility and above all it takes love to be able to understand why people do what they do people act the way they act you can't you can't open the book of somebody's life and then judge them on why they make the decisions they make right you can't just open the book in the middle of their life without reading their entire life and judge them you don't know where they've come from uh, and so you know all of the nuances of all of the stories were, were really not, we're just lazy at the end of the day. We're lazy. We don't want to get into all the messiness of people's lives. We're lazy. It's just easier. It's just easier to say, no, I, I know that, that this is good or this is bad. I know because of my life, right? That's what makes sense according to my life. Um, But the ball games and the nuance, the proofs in the pudding, right? And the pudding is only going to be as good as its ingredients. Um, and you have to get down to the nitty gritty of somebody if you want to have any, any hope of having an, an opinion on their actions. Unless, unless you just want to be the punisher. Uh, you want to have a law, very simple law. Take the uh, Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. Okay, you killed, this says thou shalt not kill, therefore uh, you are punished. That's it, cut and dry, boom, bada beam, bada bang. No questions asked. So. If, if, if our system of law is based on that, uh, then, then yeah, it's very easy, right? You can be lazy. You can be very, a very lazy judge or prosecutor um, and, and uh, make that happen, right? You broke the law. This is the punishment. Next case problem is there's nothing um, there's nothing in that approach that is restorative that will bring reconciliation reconciliatory is that the word uh, there's nothing that's going to bring 
people back into right relationship with their fellow man and with their God in that scenario. Uh, and therein lies another problem uh, of the, the direction of our, our uh, penal system. And most penal systems in the world, they're not, they're not geared towards reconciliation, they are geared towards punishment, right? Um, cold, hard punishment. So I, I've gone on a little bit of a journey here. I'm, I'm reaching my destination now. I'm gonna have to, to cut this off. Um, but I wanna say that, you know, we need to get into the nuance of history, not just world history or national history or church history, but people's personal histories. If you really want to understand people, we need to be able to get into the nitty-gritty of their lives. And, and, and you need to be open with your life as well, right? Uh, which is a very difficult thing to do. Um... <clears throat> We're lazy. I really think uh, down deep, that's what it comes down to. We are too lazy to do the work, and therefore it's easier just to say, this is, this is history. This is how I see it. I, I won't be uh, moved to think any differently. Uh, next subject. <laughs> uh, God forbid they go into science next. <laughs> so... Anyway, um, yeah, uh, we can't revise history based on our own narrative. History has its own narrative. Uh, we need to get deep into it, find, um, find people who do that work and who do it well. Take the time to find them. Find, find, figure out what are, what are their criteria. What is the standard that they hold themselves to? Uh, and this does come down to being a bit scientific, right? The number of sources, for example, before they quote something as factual, they may have a number of sources uh, before it meets the, the, the factual test. Uh, and historians who work like this, um, I think they may report less history, but the history they do report uh, is probably the most reliable that we have. Um, anyway, I'd like to read more history. Uh, and uh, maybe I will. Maybe I will. All right, well, I've just pulled in. And uh, you guys have a great day. Thanks for listening. And, uh, yeah, I hope there's something in today's uh, rant and ramble uh, that is of value to you. Thanks. Bye.